Would you all please pray with me? O Holy One, in the cacophony of so many loud and often competing voices in our lives, quiet our minds, still our bodies, and open our hearts that we may hear your voice for us today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Good morning, good morning again to all of you, and welcome. I'd like to begin this morning with a brief exercise, a brief reflective exercise. And I'd like to invite you to complete the following sentence. The Bible's stories about Jesus make me feel blank. You fill in the blank. And I actually want you to call out your responses. Call them out loud. We're not going to come around with a mic, so you've got to call out loud. And um, perhaps your response will be one or two words. Got it? Okay. The Bible stories about Jesus make me feel, I'm going to write some of these down, loved, peaceful, hopeful. What else did you say? Confused, yes. <laughs> I'm sorry to hear it. What else? Closer to God. Closer to God. Yeah. Encouraged. Yeah. Conflicted. Yes. Someone said healing over. No. Curious. Yeah. Yeah. Included, maybe. Yeah. Challenged. Inspired, for sure. Yeah. Demanded on. Demanded? Demanded on. Demanded on. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Amen. Amen to all of your responses. Yes, these stories we have about Jesus certainly make us feel all of those things. Hopeful and inspired and encouraged and confused, conflicted. And then and then we have our gospel reading for this morning. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> now, I don't know about you, but this Bible story about Jesus makes me feel very disturbed. <laughs> the images in this story are so very disturbing and troubling. First of all, we have this man who is deeply troubled. He's suffering. He's struggling. He's naked. He's all alone. And he's not just at the margins of society. He's well out there beyond the margins of society. He isn't even living among the living anymore. He is living among the dead or in the tombs as it is written. And if that's not disturbing enough, then we have that other scene in this story in which Jesus gives permission and allows the so-called demons of the man to leave him, which is a good thing, right? But then those demons are actually transferred and they entered into this large herd of pigs that were just there feeding 
on the hillside that day, which then, of course, causes them to rush down the cliff and into the lake where they drown. This story is so upsetting. It's an awful story. It's an absolutely awful story. Can I say that from up here? Is that okay? <laughs> I think at North Church it's okay for me to say that. However, it is an awful story, at least on the surface. But it's one of those stories that require us to dig deeper, uh, much deeper. I was talking to a colleague of mine recently, and we were talking about this story, and I was telling her how upsetting this story is to me, and um, talking about my reaction to this story, and she said, well then, Joanna, just don't preach about it, you know, just... <laughs> she said, use the text from Isaiah instead, and, and I thought, well, maybe I will do that, and I, I really did think about doing that. <laughs> but I kept coming back to that uncomfortable and inconvenient truth that God does indeed disturb us at times in order to get our attention and in order to take us where we wouldn't necessarily go on our own. And so, in our Gospel reading this morning, we are led to the tombs. Now, the traditional reading of this story, the more literal reading of this story, is that it is simply a miracle story. It's one of the many miracle stories we have about Jesus in the Gospels. In this story, Jesus heals this man who appears to be possessed with demons, and in so doing, Jesus gives him a new life, eternal life. And so this story then teaches us something about Jesus. It teaches us that Jesus is a miracle worker and Jesus is a healer. And that, simply put, is the interpretation, the literal, traditional interpretation of this story. Now, a more contextual interpretation pushes us further to also consider the circumstances of that time and place, as well as the man's condition. It seems quite clear to us today that the man must have had a chronic mental illness. Perhaps he had a long history of hallucinations and some delusional thoughts and perhaps responding to some kind of internal stimuli. But of course there was no mental health treatment available at that time. No psychotropic medications, no clinical psychiatrists, no inpatient or outpatient care settings. But of uh, th this was a man, especially in that time and place, who was without options, and therefore he was without hope until his encounter with Jesus. So keeping that kind of contextual interpretation in mind, we begin to understand if that we are truly willing to follow Jesus, then Jesus will lead us to the shadows of society to minister to and with and among those who are the most vulnerable and the most forgotten and those with the greatest need. So that 
is a contextual interpretation of our gospel reading this morning. And in that kind of interpretation, we certainly hear a social justice theme and a call to action. But believe it or not, that's not where I'm heading this morning. <laughs> Uh-oh. <laughs> in our preaching and in our commitments and in our ministries here at North, we often do respond to God's call and command to do justice. But today, I'd like for us to consider yet another angle through which to understand this very disturbing story, a more metaphorical interpretation. Because in my metaphorical interpretation understanding of this story, I get to add the disclaimer that no animals were actually harmed <laughs> in this story. <laughs> Through metaphor, we are able to save that herd of pigs. <laughs> but seriously, and, and quite honestly, as I was wrestling with this text the past couple of weeks, it was the wisdom and the words of the late, great, inimitable Maya Angelou that came to me and prompted me to look at this story, this healing story, as metaphor. When I was about 37 years old, I think, I read for the first time and was deeply touched by her bestseller book, I Know Why the Caged Bird Sings. And I know also that many of you have read this book maybe a few times through. If you haven't read it yet, I encourage you to do so. It is a very poignant and compelling autobiographical account of her earliest years in which she endures significant loss and abandonment and trauma, all against the backdrop of her daily encounters with a racist and misogynistic society. Maya Angelou's pain as a young child was so penetrating and all-consuming and burdensome that she even turned inward, and she lost her voice for five years through a self-imposed silence. It was only through her love of literature and reading and the nurture and recognition of her giftedness by a teacher who cared that then 13-year-old Maya was able to find her voice again, and in doing so, she began that lifelong journey of self-discovery and healing. My favorite quote from the book is the one that I used for our God is Still Speaking quote at the top of page one in your bulletins this morning. Those words are, there is no greater agony than bearing an untold story inside you. 
There is no greater agony than bearing an untold story inside you. Powerful, powerful words, life-changing words. Maya Angelou's story was still fresh in my heart when our family moved to Columbus a few months later. We had been living in Dallas, Texas previously. And it wasn't too long before we landed here at North Church and made North our church family home. Now, many of you know that after you've been visiting North for a while, you'll be invited to participate in what is called the Covenant class. How many of you here have participated in the Covenant class? Most of you, yes, most of you. The Covenant class, for those of you who are not familiar with it, is for anyone who is interested in learning more about North Church or about our denomination, the United Church of Christ, or the many different ways that one can become involved here in the life of our congregation. So as a visitor, this was about 14 years ago, I believe, I signed up for the Covenant class. And I'll never forget that first session. Pastor Eric explained <clears throat> that during the next four sessions, there would be an opportunity for everyone in our group to share their spiritual journey. And then he began by sharing his own personal story as a way of modeling for us the kind of information that we might consider sharing. And I couldn't believe it. I mean, he was so honest and open in his sharing, and he even spoke about some of the challenging times that he went through, too. And honestly, I had never known anyone, let alone a pastor, who had made him or herself so vulnerable in that way. And then, before I knew it, the others in my class during the next few weeks also shared their personal stories. And I noticed that they too spoke very candidly about themselves and their lives. And in each story that was shared, I noticed that there were some common themes, themes of loss and struggle, as well as healing and hope and new beginnings. Now, I have to tell you, I've got to admit here, that this all was making me very, very nervous. <laughs> because believe it or not, I am an introvert, and I'm naturally shy, and I'm rather a guarded, private person. I really am. Plus, plus, at that time in my life, there was a significant part of my spiritual journey that I had never shared with anyone else, except for my spouse, Shane. And I certainly wasn't about to share it with all of these people that I didn't even know. <laughs> and so I came up with a plan. <laughs> I signed up to share my story on the very last session hoping that perhaps there wouldn't be enough time to get to my story. 
or maybe that we'd have to cut it short because we had so many other things to get through on the agenda of that last session. Or I was just hoping that maybe Pastor Eric would forget that <laughs> I hadn't shared yet. <laughs> but much to my dismay, <laughs> that last week, Eric made sure that there was enough time for all of us to share our sacred stories. And so, when it was finally my time to share my story, I was the very last one to do so, I noticed that as I began to speak, all of a sudden, I felt inspired by young Maya Angelou's courage, as well as the authenticity and the vulnerability within that circle of safety and trust that we had formed over the past few weeks. And so, as I spoke, I found myself sharing not just about the deep joy that I knew growing up as a pastor's kid, but for the very first time in my life, I also spoke about the hell that broke loose when I was 10 years old when my parents' marriage ended in a bitter and ugly and scandalous divorce, and my dad was forced to resign from the church, and then he answered a call to serve a church about an hour away, and two of my brothers lived with my dad, and I lived with my mom and my new stepfamily. My older two siblings were off to college. And in response to all of these losses, the loss of my home, the loss of my family, the loss of my church, and even the loss of my God. So I thought, I became angry. And I became a very angry adolescent. And for about the next six years or so, I acted out my anger in ways that were rebellious and reckless and even risky. And it wasn't until that I finally headed off to college that I actually returned to church. I know it doesn't happen often that way, or college students often don't go to church. <laughs> and it was there in that setting that I was reminded that God hadn't abandoned me at all as I had believed, but God was the one, like our story teaches us this morning, who actively sought me out just as I was and where I was. And God was the one who carried me through that tumultuous time of my life, protecting me and keeping me safe. Thanks be to God. Now, after I shared my story out loud for the very first time in that covenant class 14 years ago, I looked out the window and I noticed that the sun was still shining and the sky hadn't fallen. <laughs> and I didn't feel as though I had somehow dishonored my mom or my dad's memory by sharing my truth, by speaking my truth. As, and as I looked all around 
that circle, those kind faces in our covenant class circle that day, I felt only acceptance and understanding and compassion and encouragement. And for the first time, the first time in 27 years, I felt a little lighter. And I felt a little freer from the shame that I had been carrying around with me for all of those years. In that moment, I knew on some level that I was on my way to returning home to myself. Return to your home. Jesus tells the man formerly known as a demoniac, return to your home. God seeks us out just as we are, wherever we are on our life's journey, and gives us what we need for healing, even when we don't recognize it. The stories of others to encourage us, the compassionate presence of people who care, the sense of belonging we experience through relationships and the faithful invitation and promise of Jesus' words. Return to your home. Return to your home within yourself. Return to your home. Thanks be to God. Amen.